teenager from Ohio says her father threatened to kill her because she converted to Christianity. Rifka Berry, 17, ran away from her family in Columbus, Ohio in July and took refuge in the central Florida home of the Reverend Blake Lorenz with the Global Revolution Church in Orlando. The teen heard of the pastor and his church through a prayer group on Facebook. The girl's parents reported her missing to Columbus police, who found her two weeks later in Florida through cell phone records. The teenager, in sworn affidavit, claims her father, Mohammed Barry, 47, was pressured by the mosque the family attends in Ohio to deal with the situation. In the court filing, Rifka Berry stated her father said, If you have this Jesus in your heart, you are dead to me. The teenager claims her father added, I will kill you. Now, I don't know if this has been fully resolved in the courts as of yet, but Muhammad Berry has denied any intent to kill his daughter. Honor killings of converts to Christianity, however, are quite common in some parts of the world. And it's quite often Muslims justifying their actions on the basis of the Quran who are guilty of doing such. But it was not Muhammad who said, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. It was Jesus who said that. And it's found in the Bible, in the New Testament. Now, I don't want anyone to think that I'm suggesting that Jesus authorized using the sword against those who might defect from faith in him. He never authorized the killing of apostates or infidels, in spite of what some might have believed during the Crusades. It wasn't a call to arms when he said he came to bring a sword on the earth. It was simply a statement of fact. His coming was going to divide people, even families, like the family of Rifka Berry. He makes that clear again in our text for today. We're studying in Luke's Gospel. We're in the 12th chapter, ready for verses 49 through 53. I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. 
They will be divided father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. And daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now these seem like strange words for the prince of peace. We tend to think of Jesus solely as the peacemaker. We don't think of him as the one who brings division, who came to cast fire on the earth. But that's what he said. I have come, he said, to cast fire upon the earth. Now, the most obvious understanding of fire used in this context is judgment. Jesus is saying that he has come to judge, to separate, to divide men from one another. But then, doesn't he say in John 12, 47, that he did not come to judge the world, but to save it? Other scriptures make it clear that when he comes again, he will come as judge. But when he came the first time, he came as Savior. So how does his coming as Savior bring fire on the earth and division? It does so quite simply because not all men will accept him as Savior. And that fact in and of itself judges and divides mankind. Jesus knew what he was about to do would not be understood or accepted by everyone, and that it would therefore bring a dividing fire upon the earth. The Jews of his day were looking for a conquering king who would lead them in rebellion against Rome. They weren't looking for a suffering savior. And he knew many would never accept it. Still, he knew what had to be done. He knew what lay ahead of him. And he wished that it had already begun and was over. That's what he's talking about when he said, How I wish it were already kindled. And that's what he's talking about when he said, But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until... It is accomplished. Our salvation would require his immersion in the agony of the cross, and he knew it. He was distressed by it and wanted to get it over with. But he knew it was essential. The penalty for sin is death. And the penalty had to be paid. If he didn't pay it, we would have to. And it would cost us our eternal life. There was no other way. Either we pay it ourselves and die eternally, or let him pay it for us and live eternally. It is therefore our response to his sacrifice that will judge us when he comes again. If we haven't accepted him as Savior, he will act as judge and Sentence us. So judgment is being made now. We're being judged by our response to his death. And so his death divides all mankind into two categories. 
those who have accepted him and those who have rejected him. Believers and non-believers, the saved and the lost. And that dividing line even separates families. As he said, families are divided three against two and two against three. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. And the one that probably surprises us the least, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against (laughs) mother-in-law. In all seriousness, Christ has become a great divider of households, rending families apart and destroying long-held traditions, even causing some to be disowned and even killed by family members. That's not to say those who become Christians should intentionally seek to divide households. Paul told men who had become Christians that they were not to leave their unbelieving wives, and women who had become Christians that they were not to leave their unbelieving husbands. He went on to explain, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? And how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? He did, however, recognize that the unbelieving spouse might choose to leave the one who had become a Christian. For as Jesus said, belief in him will divide families. Again, the Christian should never intentionally try to divide a family. For as Paul also said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace. With all men. But Jesus did make it clear that unless we love him more than those of our own family, we are not worthy to be his disciples. And our commitment to him will often bring changes in our behavior that sits in judgment on the behavior of others, even other family members. Getting right with God won't bring peace to all men because not all men are at peace with God. Indeed, peace with God often brings a sword between men. And that cannot be ignored. Verses 54 through 56. And he was also saying to the multitudes, when you see a cloud rise in the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming, and so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, it will be a hot day, and it turns out that way. You hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time? You know, certain coming events are obvious to all, like the weather. People in Jesus' day were very adept at predicting the weather without the weather channel. If they saw a cloud rising in the west from the Mediterranean, they knew a shower was on its way. And if a south wind was blowing from the Arabian desert, 
They knew it was going to be a hot day. Many, however, were turning a blind eye to the polarization that was taking place during Jesus' ministry. The lines were being drawn, and it was hypocritical to pretend it wasn't happening. The religious leaders were plotting against him. The storm clouds were rising. All wasn't peace and brotherhood. He wasn't a rallying point that brought all mankind together. He divided the Jewish nation and turned brother against brother. And he does the same thing today. Contrary to the insistence of some, the brotherhood of all mankind is not part of the Christian worldview. It's humanistic in nature. Yes, our common humanity does make us brothers in one sense, but our family relationship has been fractured by sin and estrangement from our Father. It's only through Christ that we can come back together and not all choose to do that. So mankind is divided, and it's divided by Christ. Now those who proclaim peace when there is no peace and declare brotherhood when it no longer exists don't like to hear that. In fact, many today try to ignore the implications of Jesus' life and teaching, but he made some very exclusive and divisive claims. He very plainly stated that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. No one likes to hear that. But he said it. And it means that while Christians can be tolerant of other beliefs, they cannot recognize them as viable alternatives. Contrary to the assertions of postmodern pluralism, truth is not culturally determined. Arsenic will kill you in any culture, whether you believe it or not. Many people believe lies intentionally or unintentionally. And unless they give up their lies and accept the truth, they will go to hell. I realize that's not a socially acceptable nor politically correct thing to say. And it distresses me to have to say it. And saying it makes me look like a bigot. Americans pride themselves on accepting everyone, regardless of race, color, or creed. And that's the way we must live in this world. But it cannot blind us to the absolutes declared by our Lord. Only those who accept Him as Lord and Savior will be saved, and the rest will be lost. 
We have no choice but to believe that. In spite of the fact that some who are Christians and even clergymen do not. Some choose to ignore the hard teachings of Jesus, the socially unacceptable things he said. They did so in his day, and they do so in ours. But he said them. And to pretend that he didn't is hypocritical. As C.S. Lewis made clear, Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. There is no other option. The choice must be made. And why do you not, even on your own initiative, judge what is right? For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way there, make an effort to settle with him in order that he may not drag you before the judge and the judge turn you over to the constable and the constable throw you into prison. I say to you, you shall not get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. Christ expects us to judge What is right? While it is not our place to condemn one another, it is our place to sit in judgment on one another's beliefs. Not because my beliefs are better than yours or yours are better than mine, but because the basis of judgment has been revealed to us. Scriptures reveal the truth. God has given us the standard by which to judge truth and error. Now, we must be careful not to assume that our understanding of the truth revealed in Scripture is infallible. We must recognize that we are all brothers in error to one degree or another. Until Christ returns and clarifies everything, there will be some points of honest disagreement between even those who hold to the infallibility of the Word of God. But it is imperative that we make certain our beliefs are in line with what Christ clearly stated. And that is the point of the little parable he offered. Jesus pictured a man on his way to the magistrate with an opponent. And he said if he didn't settle with him before appearing before the judge, he would be handed over to the constable and would then be thrown in prison. And until he paid the last penny of his debt, he would never get out. Apparently, the man did not have Much of a case. And that is our condition if we disagree with Christ. If we don't make peace with Him now and accept what He has said, we will be condemned when we stand before the throne. 
And our condemnation will be eternal because we will never be able to settle our debt with God on our own. Now, I realize this is a hard teaching. And we don't like to dwell on it. But it's true. And we better believe it. Jesus has cast fire on the earth. And that fire provides light to illumine, heat to cleanse, and flame to consume. What we do with it is up to us. We can learn from it and be cleansed by it or be destroyed by it. The choice is ours to make. And now is the time to make it.